Well, good morning again. It's good to see you. If you're with us all the time, you're used to the fact that we usually sing a, full, a couple songs before I get up here. And we just sang one today. I thought today, given our uh, continuation of our series on the Holy Spirit, that we could probably use some time for prayer and worship on the backside. So is that okay? We're just gonna open God's word together today and look at it. And then we're gonna have some time to respond through prayer uh, and together in worship. So if you're anxious to sing more songs, don't worry, they are coming, all right? They are coming. So last week, if you were here, we had a, a baptism service. And how many of you just say that that's one of your favorite things every year if you're a part of us? It's just, I love hearing the stories of what God has done in people's lives. I mean, it, it was a blessing last week. I was really encouraged by it. And um, so, but now we're moving back into our series on the work of the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking so far, what we've looked at in the previous two weeks where we began our study, is we looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit is uh, integral in saving us, that the Holy Spirit does a work to save us, and we talked about this idea that he causes us to be born again, to, to be what theologians call regenerate, which is to say that the Holy Spirit takes our dead souls and makes them alive. So without the Holy Spirit, salvation doesn't occur. Uh, and then we looked at the fact the Holy Spirit doesn't just save us, he's not just integral in this work of salvation, but that the Spirit of God uh, also keeps us in that salvation, causes us to persevere in the faith to the end as the scriptures command us. And so those are the two things we've looked at so far as we've thought about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind us our purpose in doing this, one, is that we want to know God as he is. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we want to know God as he is. And so it makes sense to think intentionally about the role and work of the Holy Spirit among the triune God, among the three persons of the Trinity. And so we're doing a little intentional focus on his work and his presence among us. But the other reason for this series is not just that we would know God as he is, but also that we would recognize that there's a missional purpose to a series like this. There's a missional agenda at work here because it's the spirit of God that wakes the people of God up to the purposes of God so that we don't spend our lives camped out on the doorsteps of hell and never seek to rescue people from its dominion. It's the spirit of God that moves us into bold action. It's the spirit of God that empowers us. What a sad testimony of a life it would be to say, I was saved, reconciled to God the Father, and never walked in the power of the spirit to serve him. I never came awake to the idea that God wanted to use me in this world. And so our missional agenda, if I can just be upfront and honest about it, is that we want some of you to wake up. We are asking the Spirit of God to wake us up in increasing measure so that we wouldn't be content to come and sit here every Sunday together, sing some songs, listen to a sermon, and walk out as if everything is fine. Our world is in desperate need of a Savior. And God has made an army of soldiers, not to attack the world, but to love the world and to win them, to attack the enemy, the devil, and to see people brought out of death and into life. That's really the only reason we wanna exist as a church. We don't wanna to exist to be a social club. We don't want to exist to invite you to come here every week and learn some more information. We don't wanna to exist to put on a good show and sing some songs that you like or don't like. We want to exist as a church 
because God is on the move in the world and we want to join him. And so we're asking the Holy Spirit to, to wake us up to the purposes of God. So I think that's a good reason for some intentional purpose. I was reading this week and came across this from John Owen, who's an old Puritan preacher. And uh, I came across it in somebody else's sermon. So I'm going to quote this other pastor, but then also John Owen. And he said this, in terms of an intention, a, a, a missional purpose of, of focusing on the Holy Spirit, I love uh, what Pastor Owen says because he talks about something that's so simple and yet I, I've missed it so often, perhaps you've missed it, in terms of the scripture is really divided into three parts. Now we think Old Testament, New Testament, but when John Owen looked at the scripture, he saw three distinct things happening, movements from the very beginning to the very end. And so he said, before Christ's coming, the focus of scripture is the prominence of God the Father. Before Christ's coming, it's, it's God the Father. During the days of Christ's earthly life, the focus of Scripture is the prominence of God the Son. So you have in the Old Testament this focus on God the Father, but then Christ comes into the world and there's now a focus on the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and his work and what he would do to redeem people. And then since the ascension of the Son, it is the prominence of God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we live in a unique, climactic period of redemptive history, the days of the Spirit. Just as Israel of old had a special responsibility to know and honor God as Father in the oneness of his nature, and just as the people of Palestine had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days that he lived on the earth, so now we have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit. This is... Now John Owen's words, he says, the sin of despising his person, meaning the Holy Spirit, the sin of despising his person and rejecting his work now is the same nature with idolatry of old and with the Jews' rejection of the person of the Son. Do you see what John Owen's getting at there? The importance of the Spirit in the day in which we live. We live in the age of the Spirit. And so we have a particular need to focus on and understand his work. So we've come to think about the Spirit's work today. And in particular, what we're gonna focus on, if we talked about in week one of this series, the fact that the Holy Spirit saves us, and then in week two, we talked about the fact the Holy Spirit keeps us, then this week what I wanna talk about is the Holy Spirit empowers us that the Spirit of God empowers us, that that's part of his work in the world is to empower God's people. Now here's what I mean by empowers us is that he gives us strength to serve God's purposes in the world. He gives us strength to serve God's purposes in the world. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And so becoming aware of how he does that, ways in which he goes about that is helpful to us so that we might receive that power so that we might serve God with boldness and effectiveness, yes? Okay, I hope and pray this sermon will mean nothing to you if you don't want to serve God with boldness and effectiveness. If you do, if you do, and I'm not presumptive, by the way, but if you do, then I, I pray that you would hear God's word today. There may be no greater text in the scriptures to help us understand what our expectations should be in terms of the Spirit's empowering work than John chapter 14, verse 12. We're gonna jump around a lot. We'll put the scriptures on the screen. You can also try and keep up with me in your Bible if you want, uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna move through a bunch of them today. But look with me at John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking, and he sets an expectation, which, uh, to be quite honest, when you read it, it's lofty. Okay, these are some lofty expectations about who the Spirit is and what he does. But listen to what he says in John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, which is another way of saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say. 
When Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying like, listen up, all right? So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, which is awesome. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Do you see how radical a statement Jesus just made? He who believes in me, so let's talk about a couple things about that text. Number one, okay, the first thing we see, he who believes in me means that he's not just talking, he's talking in that moment to the disciples, but he's talking to all of us who would believe in him because he's not just limiting to this, to the idea that the apostles, the immediate disciples would do greater works than Jesus would do because he says, whoever believes in me, in other words, down through history, Anyone who believes in Jesus, what I'm about to say applies to them. You with me? Okay, so this isn't just for Paul and Peter. This isn't just for John. This isn't just for Thomas and Philip and Andrew. This is for everyone who believes in Jesus. He or she who believes in me will do the works that I do. Now, that's the next thing that he says. Will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Now, let's just pause for a moment and recognize what could he mean when he says greater works than these will he do? It's, it's hard to fathom what he could possibly mean. Now, a couple of ideas here, okay? A couple of things. One, I love, we have to ask questions, what are the works of Jesus? If he says, you'll do the works that I do if you believe in me, then we have to ask, well, what are the works of Jesus? And I love what D.A. Carson, who's a New Testament scholar, says here. He says, this statement, the works of Jesus, cannot be restricted to deeds of humility, acts of selfless love, and passing on his teaching to others. Although that's true, all those things are part of the works of Jesus, yes. Acts of humility and selfless love and serving others and teaching the gospel, those are all very much the works of Jesus. But he says, when you read this, just grammatically, he's talking as a, as a Greek scholar, he says, grammatically, you can never, when you see this, just limit it to that. He says, the miracles of Jesus are also in play. The miracles that Jesus performed are also meant to be seen in Jesus' statement, the works that I do, those who follow me, those who believe in me, they will always do. So in other words, it includes more than the miracles of Jesus, this term works. It's more than that, but it never excludes that. You with me? All right, so what we've just heard then, if Dr. Carson is right, and I think he is, what we just heard then is that Jesus has just opened the door to say, whoever believes in me will do acts of selfless humility and selfless love. They will serve with reckless abandon. They will preach with boldness just as I have. And also the miracles that I have done, they will perform. Now, then he goes on to say, greater works than these will, will he do. And we need to examine that for a second because you can take greater in a couple ways, right? Some look at it and they say, well, that must mean that they're gonna be greater in quantity. There's gonna be more of them because there's more of us than there was of him. There's a lot of us. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty uh, low expectation in terms of what Jesus might've meant here. Well, Jesus is saying, they'll do my works and there's more of them, so there will be more of those works. You get what you get? That, I don't think that's what he's getting. By the way, there's another way that he could have used, if he wanted to mean more, to do more works than I did, he could have said more works. But he didn't say more works, he said greater works. And that's a, that's a different phrase. He could have chosen a completely different phrase if he wanted to, he didn't. He chose the phrase greater works than these. So then we have to ask, well, okay, if it's not just greater in number, then is it meaning greater in terms of their 
supernaturalness. And that's hard to fathom because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What could be greater than that? Right, he walked on water. He turned, he turned water into wine. I, I, haven't met, I haven't met too many believers who have done those things. And so the question becomes, I should say I've met, I met no believers <laughs> who have done those things. Or at least they didn't tell me about them. I have not. And so the question becomes, well, what is he taught? Okay, is it greater, in, greater somehow in supernatural power? Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. In John chapter 14, verse 12, when he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Here's what I think he's getting at. He's saying, the key is the last phrase, because why? Why will they be able to do them? Because I go to the Father. In other words, what he's saying is, the same thing he's gonna say in John chapter 16, it's because I go to the Father, I will send you the Spirit. It's good for you that I depart because I'm gonna send the Spirit to you. In other words, what Jesus recognizes, we're standing on the precipice, he's saying to his disciples, of a whole new age that I'm about to usher in with my death and resurrection. And when I do it, all my miracles, all my works have pointed to salvation that God is working in a veiled sort of a way, right? Like the disciples, you get, when you read the gospels, are you a little bit shocked how often they seem to not understand when Jesus talks about his death? They're confused. They seem to be like, why is he talking about this? They don't get it. They even say, no, far be it from you that you should die. And he's like, if I don't die, God's purposes won't be accomplished in the world. And so what Jesus is saying is we're standing on the precipice of a new age, that I'm about to usher in when I die. And all the things that I've done have pointed to the fact that I can save people, that I am king of kings and lord of lords. Everything that I've done has pointed to that reality. But now you, my followers, whoever believes in me, will do greater works than I've done because you will be able to point back to the, to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension with clarity. There's no longer any doubt about how people are saved. There's no longer any confusion. So when you do the works that I do, it won't be looking forward to something that's still a little unclear about what it's gonna look like. You're gonna be pointing back to a reality that already transpired and occurred, and you're gonna do that with the power of the Spirit dwelling inside of you. And when you do that, that hasn't happened up to this point in history. That's why Jesus is saying, it's a, the ones who follow me, they will do my works, including miracles, and they will do greater works because we, are, we have entered when Jesus was crucified and then resurrected. We have now seen him usher in a new era in human history of clarity about salvation and who God is and a new era of power because when he died and resurrected and ascended, he sent his spirit to live inside of his people. Do you see how this raises the level of expectation about how the spirit might empower us? If nothing else, here's what I want you to hear from all that explanation of John chapter 14, verse 12. You need greater expectations. You and I, let me own that too, okay? Because I'm figuring out how to walk in this too. Can I just say that? You and I, I was walking and praying for us last night, just preparing for this morning and, and praying and do that a lot. I was just thinking, Lord, I need more. I need a greater expectation. I, I spend far too I, I far too often I expect so little from you when I serve you. I expect little power, little effectiveness. I, 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 my expectations are not high enough. And this week as I studied this, John 14 just slapped me in the face. Greater works than these will he do. Do I believe that or do I not believe it? I mean, we're a Bible teaching church around here. 
And it's like we read past that kind of stuff and go, oh, let's pretend like the Bible didn't say that. Right? Let's act like it means something else. But I'm telling you, all the best scholars will tell you it means what it says it means. And so, you know, I'm digging away in my commentaries and I'm like, is there some other way to think that this means, it, 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 this is what it means. So my encouragement to you and to myself is, can we expect more? Because if the Holy Spirit has come, we've entered into a new era of clarity about salvation, God's purposes in the world. It's no longer foggy. It's no longer a mystery. It's clear. And not only is it clear, we've been given a new power that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he certainly moved in people. He certainly empowered God's people. He did, but not in the way that he has done since Jesus ascended. Not in the way he has done since Jesus ascended. We are the absolute, I mean, if I could put it this way, we are the, like the spoiled grandchildren of the saints of old. Because we have received something they never had. At least not in the way that we have it. So let's expect more. Now, let me talk about a couple of ways the Spirit talks about how he empowers, okay? So that, that's really the thesis of the whole day today is that we would just expect more. And at, at the end of our time together, I'm gonna invite you just to receive prayer if you recognize, I need more. I need, I need more power from the Spirit. And perhaps there's a dryness to your walk with God right now. Just a sense of like, I, I do it out of a sense of duty more than out of a depth, like just an, what feels like an overflowing well of reserve of joy in Christ. That's something the Spirit does as well. And we're gonna invite you to just be prayed for receive that. So let's talk then about a couple things that the Spirit does. Are we uneasy yet? Everybody uneasy? Okay, good. Me too, by the way. So the first thing I want you to see is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm, I'm just going to give you five things. Is it five? It is five. Yes, correct. I'm going to give you five things about maybe how we should learn to expect more from the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Verse eight, now this is Jesus talking about when he's gonna send the spirit at Pentecost, which is gonna happen in the next chapter, Acts chapter two. So he is speaking specifically about this moment, this transition of eras from the era of the son and his dwelling on the earth to now the era of the spirit who's gonna come. And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, talking to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there is something specific that he's saying to the disciples there when he's saying you're gonna get this ball rolling by being my witnesses. The only thing I want you to see from that text is this, there has always been a link between the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out and people trying to serve God. That in other words, he's the, the spirit that will be poured out upon you in power and when he does, what will you be? He says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses. So the first thing that we need to understand is that we probably shouldn't expect the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us if we're not trying to serve God and be his witnesses. If we're sitting on the sideline, right? If we're, if we're not picking up, I mean, you can maybe think about, about it this way. If you're a musician and you just always longed to play a piece of music that would be so beautiful that it would bring people to tears, but you've, it's like saying, that's my desire and I've never picked up an instrument. You have to pick up the instrument and play. You have to pick it up and you have to play. And if you don't, you'll never bring anyone to tears with the beauty of the music. 
And this is, what, this is what I want you to see, Acts chapter one, verse eight, but really every scripture talking about the Holy Spirit and his empowerment, his empowerment is always given to people who are doing what? Who are bearing witness, who are trying to serve him, who are doing their very best to say, what do you want me to do? And I'll go do it. And, and I don't want you to come in today and perhaps think that, well, yeah, I wanna receive the power of the Spirit, but you're making no effort to serve Christ. You gotta step out. You gotta start trying to serve Christ. Don't hear me say like, you know, I don't intend to shame anybody through this. I just intend to bring a a brass tax reality to us, right? Take the opportunity he gives you to serve him and and watch because that's where the power comes. It comes when we try to serve him. You can't expect it if you're not trying to. Now that said, I, I also wanna say this. I don't actually want to motivate you to serve Christ by saying, if you serve him, then the power of the spirit will be poured out upon you. Because I don't want you to hunger just for a movement of power through you. I want you to love and adore all that Christ is, for all that God is for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to adore all that he is and be, be absolutely floored by his astounding love for you. I don't want you to crave power. I want you to crave him. I want you to want to know him and the power of his resurrection, as Paul says in Philippians. And in wanting to know him then, do you know why we, we want the spirit to move through us in power? It's not so we can say, wow, look at me and how the spirit moved through me in power. It's not so we get addicted to movements of power being poured through us. It's so that when that happens, you serve God with effectiveness and you love him first and most. And when you do, serving him effectively is your favorite thing in the world. What else could I want more than to be effective for you? You with me? Okay, so I, I just I wanna say that. I don't want you to crave power. I don't want you to crave the Holy Spirit's power. I, I mean, I do, but I want you to crave it for a better reason than power alone, okay? That's what I'm saying. Now, the second thing is that the Spirit, in terms of his empowerment, gives a strong outpouring of power in certain moments. He gives a strong outpouring of power in certain moments. We see this in in texts like Acts chapter four, verse eight, right? Acts chapter four, verse eight. Uh, Peter and some of the other disciples, have, they've, they've healed a man who was lame. He couldn't walk and they're kind of getting called to task for it, which is really odd. But then Peter basically shares with the religious leaders the gospel. He bears witness to them. And in Acts chapter four, verse eight, right before that, it says, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit And then he goes on to then declare the gospel in great power and boldness and it ends up getting him thrown in prison, right? It becomes an issue down the line. But that's an example in that moment of this term that we find a lot in the scripture actually that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the questions we have to ask if we're gonna say, well, what does the empowering work of the Spirit look like? We have to answer the question, well, what does it mean when it says we can be filled with the Spirit or that someone was filled with the Spirit in the scripture? So I wanna examine that just a little bit because unless we, if we don't understand that, I think we're gonna miss out on some of the clear work that the Spirit's doing in the scriptures to empower his people with these unique outpourings of power. Every time, well not every time, I'll say, often in the scriptures, when you see this phrase, and they were filled with the Spirit, what you're finding is that there's this crucial moment, this critical moment in service to God where a a particular anointing of power is needed, a particular outpouring of power is needed, and so the way the scriptures talk about what the Spirit does in that moment, is says the Spirit came and filled them. 
That doesn't mean that they didn't already possess the Spirit. That's a clear distinction we need to make. You'll find two terms in the Scriptures. One is the baptism of the Spirit, and one is being filled with the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is what happens when you come to faith in Jesus. At that moment, the Spirit baptizes you, meaning he comes and indwells you. It's not a secondary experience. It's not something that happens later after salvation. It's not something you have to pray for distinctly to ask for so that you would receive it. The baptism of the Spirit, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we're not gonna look at it, but you can jot it down if you want. The baptism of the Spirit is the indwelling presence of the Spirit that comes at the moment of salvation when everyone, someone places their faith in Jesus. You with me? So the Spirit's there, it's present, but then here's all these people serving in the New Testament that already have the Spirit of God in them, and it says they were filled with the Spirit. So it has to mean something other than they didn't have the Spirit, and then the Spirit came. You, you see that? What it means is that the Spirit came and filled them, uniquely poured out upon them in a way that enabled them to serve with particular power in that moment. That there was something given to them in that moment in addition to the Spirit's presence already with them. Now some object when they hear that and they say, if the Spirit's already there, he fills us, so how can you get more into something that's already full? And I would think Dr. Grudem, Dr. Wayne Grudem, another theologian, uses this analogy. I think it's really helpful. Think of it like a balloon, right? When you blow air into a balloon, that balloon is full of air, right? But might there be a moment where you would blow more on the balloon and it would what? Expand and be filled, receive a particular stronger filling in that moment, Right now, the balloon analogy breaks down there for a moment because, you know, when the Spirit comes and does this, he does it so that we can serve them. Balloons don't serve the Lord, okay? But he does it so that we might serve him. Now, there's two ways. So that's the difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Are you with me? Okay, that's a clear distinction we need to make. Now, the second thing I want you to see is about this idea of the filling of the Spirit. There's two ways the Scriptures talk about it. There's two ways the scriptures talk about it and there's one person who's a great illustration of this and it's Stephen in the New Testament in the book of Acts and I'll, I'll tell you why. So number one, the first way the scriptures use this idea of being full of the spirit, being filled with the spirit is that it's a good descriptor of someone who has a general disposition or character trait of being yielded to God. I mean being completely surrendered to God. So the scriptures say about Stephen, one of these first followers of Jesus, in Acts chapter six, verse five, what it says is they're looking for men to serve in a particular kind of way, and it says that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. That's the descriptor of Stephen. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's, there's, that phrase is used in a couple different places. The idea there is not that Stephen in that moment was filled with the Spirit with a unique empowerment for a particular act of service, but rather he was a man who was marked by this kind of reality of being full of the Spirit, being yielded in complete surrender to the purposes of the Spirit. That was a marker of Stephen's life. Wouldn't that be great if someone could describe us that way? Oh, how great it would be to have on your tombstone. He was a man, she was a woman, full of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the scriptures say about Stephen in that moment. Now, go one chapter forward in Acts chapter seven, and Stephen gets stoned for bearing witness to who Jesus is, to a bunch of religious leaders who really don't like what he has to say. And in the moment that he's being stoned, right before he's about to be stoned, it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and it's talking there not about his regular disposition, but he receives a unique empowerment in that moment, an outpouring of the Spirit as he's being stoned, so that as he's 
being stoned, he can declare, Father, forgive them and then receive, receive me into your presence. So he receives in the midst of immense suffering an outpouring of the Spirit to testify faithfully and boldly in a moment where he is being immensely persecuted. Do you follow the difference between those two things? Those are the two ways the scriptures talk about being filled or being full of the Holy Spirit. The general disposition of yieldedness is one, and the second is a unique momentary outpouring of power. Now that second one can happen numerous times in a life. It's not just something that happens one time, right? It's something that can happen, we see again and again. The disciples are said numerous times in the scriptures, and then they were filled with the Spirit, and they went forward in whatever the action of service was that God had for them. So, that's a little bit of background, okay? Here's the thing. Whenever this, these unique empowerments come, from, come, they come to enable our service to God to be particularly powerful. So it may look like making us bold in our witness. It may look like the ability to perform a miracle like an act of healing. It may look like an ability to, to demonstrate the gospel is true and powerful uh, through uh, through working a miracle. That's what John, the whole gospel of John, by the way, it says the purpose of the book of John, which we're gonna study in the fall and into the next spring. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, it says the purpose of the book is that Jesus, they recorded the miracles of Jesus so that seeing those miracles, we might believe that he's the son of God. So that seeing what he did and what he taught, we'd be so astounded by them. And that's still a pattern the New Testament holds up for us is that God often delights to display his power so that those who see it would recognize that Jesus is king. So that in seeing it, they would say, he is who he says he is. That's what John chapter 20 is talking about. So when we see this idea of being filled with the spirit, it's talking about those kinds of moments or being given a word of insight about someone's life that you couldn't have known without God revealing it to you. And that communicates to them God's love and care for them because he knows them or the ability to speak a foreign language you didn't already know, to share the gospel with someone, what the New Testament calls the gift of tongues. Those kinds of things seem to transpire when the scriptures say they were filled with the Spirit and then some kind of unique empowerment is given in that moment so that Christ is exalted and seen for who he truly is because that's really what the Spirit is aiming to do. Now, let me say this also about the filling of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is about two things, it's about both effectiveness, effectiveness as well as faithfulness. Because here's one of the most interesting things you see, is you might think that, okay, if the Spirit fills, then whatever the task is that he fills them to do, they're gonna be perfectly effective in. Like everybody's gonna believe, they're gonna testify and everybody's gonna believe. But many times when it says the disciples, the apostles, that they were filled with the Spirit, do you know what happens? They're filled with the Spirit and they boldly witness and then the people that they witness to beat them and hate what they had to say. So here's what, here's what I take from that. It doesn't mean that when we say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you fill me now? And by the way, I think it's something we can ask for, not just something that just happens, although Spirit can do that too. But when we ask for it and receive it, one of the expectations I want to give you is that it doesn't mean that your brother or sister who you've been trying to share the gospel with for years, that if you're particularly filled with the Spirit to share the gospel with them yet again, it doesn't mean that they're always gonna believe. It's not, often we find a great effectiveness. So one of the things that happens is the Spirit fills the apostles, the disciples, they testify, and many believe, but then those with hard hearts don't believe, and those people 
in the New Testament often tend to be the people who are religious and have authority, and so then they take them and drag them and put them in jail. And so there's a boldness and effectiveness. So here's what I take from that, is that when it says they were filled with the Spirit, that the Spirit fills to make us faithful so that in the hardest moments we would do what he wants us to do, but also then effective as well. And it may be one or the other, it may be both. Well, I should say this. Sometimes it will mean effectiveness. Often it will mean effectiveness, but it will always mean faithfulness. You with me? When the filling of the Spirit comes, it will always mean boldness and, effect and, and faithfulness to what God wants for you in that moment. It won't always mean perfect effectiveness, okay? Now, third thing that we look at, and this is uh, Ephesians chapter five is the next place I wanna take you. So you can flip, we're in Acts, now flip to the right a bit. Ephesians five, verse 18 through 21. And what we see here is this, is that when the Spirit fills us, there's the outpouring of power, but there's also a new joy in worship, a new joy in prayer, and a new joy in fellowship with follow, other followers of Jesus. That there is a new joy, that's the key term, new joy when the Spirit comes and does his empowering work. And here's, I think, the reason why there's a new joy in prayer and a new joy in worship and a new joy in in our relationships among the saints here, among the followers of Jesus. The reason I think is because then it makes our service powerful because it's sincere, it's authentic. We're not doing it from a place of dryness. We're doing it from a place of being filled with joy in all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. And that kind of service is much more effective than the kind that says, I guess I have to go do that now. So I'll do it. And in this good news, because when we see that the Spirit, when he does this filling work that the New Testament talks about, that he's not just filling us with power, sort of um, without also sort of filling up joy in that moment so that both those things are there. Power without joy can be a really dangerous thing, by the way. So he brings that reality. Look at what he said, how he talks about it in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18 through 21. He says this, He's been talking about living a, a holy life. And one of the things that we see when the Spirit fills us is he purifies us. I'm not gonna talk about that today because I've got a whole other sermon on that, okay? So in a couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about the purifying work of the Spirit. So we're just putting up, can we just put a pin in that, okay? And hold on to it. But chapter five, verse 18, he's, he's talking about how to live for Christ. And he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, which is a great Bible word that will confuse everyone if you use it, like, it's not a word we use anymore, debauchery. I could bring that back, I guess. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so let me give you a couple of key, key ideas there. In verse 18, it says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. One, that's grammatically what that is, is a present intense imperative, okay? Now that means everything to you guys, I know, right? But what that means is this. One, imperative means command. So it's something he's telling us to do, 
He's telling us to obey it, all right? So probably what he's talking about here is more the first kind of filling of the Spirit that we saw with Stephen in Acts chapter six, where he was a man full of the Holy Spirit because he was yielded to the Holy Spirit in every way throughout his life. And so probably what Paul is getting at here in Acts chapter five, verse eight, is not receive a unique empowerment for this act of service in this moment, but be a person full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when it, because it's a present tense imperative, the way you could think about translating this is be continually being filled with the Spirit, right? Now, that's a confusing way to phrase it. It's why they didn't put it that way here, but that's really what it means. Be continuously being filled with the Spirit is what he's saying, saying there. So if that's the case then, look at the result of being filled with the Spirit here in Acts chapter five, verse 18, because that's the main thing I want you to see, right? He says, be filled, imperative. It's a command you can obey. In other words, be yielded to God, Be surrendered to the spirit of God. Let him lead you, let him guide you. And look at what the result will be. Because then he goes on to say, after he said, be filled, he said, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. In other words, when the filling of the spirit comes, there's a new joy that infuses your worship. Do you see that? Then he goes on to say, (coughs) excuse me, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if we're giving thanks, what are we doing? We're praying. We're saying to God, I give you thanks, right? Which, by the way, there's a combo there of worship and prayer together because when we worship, we're also giving thanks, right? But he's saying when the Spirit fills, there is new joy, new joy in worship, new joy in prayer. I mean, how many of you feel like prayer is a chore, and you, wouldn't you love to be yielded to the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, so that your joy in prayer would increase, that you would love, that you would go, you know what I wanna do first thing when I wake up in the morning? I wanna run to prayer. I wanna run to worship. I wanna run to God's word. That's where I wanna be more than anything else. And then the last thing he has, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the third thing I see there as a result of being filled with the Spirit is that there is a new joy in the, in the church. There's a new joy in that we get to be called brothers and sisters together. There's a new joy to come here week after week. One of the trends of, our, of the American church is that we attend less. So what a regular church attender, this is like Barna study type of stuff, Pew Research type of stuff. They always tell, and pastors like me like this kind of information. It's interesting to us, right? It says that regular church attenders 20 years ago attended two to three times a month. And now regular attenders attend maybe twice a month, right? So we are gathering less together. Now, again, that's not a guilt trip, like get here on Sunday morning. But what it is, is a statement of the reality that if that's true, then we are taking less joy in the fact that we need one another and we need to be together. And gathering together has a unique empowering, there's a unique empowerment that comes with gathering with the saints and singing the praises of God. There's something we receive from God when we're gathered that is unique to what we receive from God when we're scattered. The scriptures seem to talk about it. That's why the author of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. Don't stop doing that. That's deeply important. You need one another. You're out there all week in a hard world trying to serve him faithfully wherever you have been sent. And that is hard. And you know what you need? You need to get back together with the people of God on a regular basis and you need to be reminded that God is good, that he loves you, that he's shown that love to you through others who love you well. You need to be encouraged that like what you believe is not false, it's true because the world's been trying to tell you it's false all week long. 
You need to be encouraged. Keep going, keep going. You can do it. Don't stop. Keep going. The world is not gonna tell you that. Here's the other little thing that happens. If that pattern that we see in the New Testament often, where there's this filling of the Spirit, there's particularly bold witness, and then there's persecution that comes on the backside of that. Well, do you think that there might have been among the disciples a little bit of like, this filling with the Spirit thing is great, but then it really stinks what happens on the backside of it. And I get a little depressed when that happens. Just expect that, by the way, so that there's this sort of like upshot of, yes, this is awesome. Look at God move. Look at him go. He's the hero of the story. This is amazing. And then on the backside of that, those with hard hearts look at you and go, you're so, I cannot believe you would dare to talk about that in this workplace. In fact, I'm gonna figure out a way to make sure I silence you because I don't wanna hear it anymore. I've had enough of you. And so I'm gonna needle you, I'm gonna get at you, I'm gonna figure out a way to make it look like you're not a person of integrity. I'm coming after you. And then all of a sudden things go haywire. And you're like, wait, wait, what happened? There's this great empowerment. This, what, 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 what went on here? This was awesome and now it stinks. You need to get together with the people of God regularly because we're the only ones who are gonna tell you, keep going, don't stop. Don't stop, keep going, be faithful. And we're gonna pray, Lord, send your spirit to fill them. That's what we're gonna do for one another. We need each other. It's not just a nice idea to get together every so often. All right, I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going. Last two are short because they could be sermons on their own, right? But now we've been talking about the filling of the Spirit. Let me just talk about something that's a little less sort of like momentary empowerment and it's just kind of the regular stuff of empowering for service. One of the most obvious ones, he gives gifts, spiritual gifts to his people with which to serve him. That's part of his empowering work. So he gives spiritual gifts, gifts of leadership and service and mercy and teaching and gifts of tongues and healing and words of knowledge. These are, all the, these are all gifts that the New Testament talks about that when the spirit comes into a person, he gives them to them. And, and no one has them all, but everybody who has Christ has some, right? So no one of us is gonna have them all. Not everybody, Paul says, not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody has gifts of healing. Not everybody has the gift of leadership or teaching, right? So we shouldn't exalt one gift over another or act like one is more important than another. They all exist and they all exist so that we would build each other up. They all exist so that the church would be built up and then empowered to bear witness for Christ because we lock arms together and serve him together. But here's what I think in terms of just what I wanted to comment on today. And let me point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse four through seven where in verse seven he says that these gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. Right? That's why we call them spiritual gifts, given by the Spirit, because they are, that gift in you, whatever it is that you possess, is a manifestation, a visible demonstration, that's what manifestation means, a visible demonstration of the fact that the Spirit is present and that he does amazing things. And so whatever gifts you possess, here's the, here's the thing I wanna encourage you in. Um, they're there, and I have this conversation a lot with people. Like, well, how do I know what they are? How do I know what they are? Here's what I wanna say to you. You need to develop a habit. If, if you want to grow in learning how to be empowered by the Spirit, you need to develop a habit of saying yes to the opportunities God brings to you. I mean, look, I, when I was young, I was a dummy. I didn't know much. 
about, I, I was trying to figure out if I was called to be a pastor all through college and I didn't know if I was or if I wasn't. And I prayed for years about this, years, trying to figure it out. And nobody taught me how to discern God's will. I had nobody in my life who was helping me understand like, oh, this is, this is how you go about discerning God's will. This is how you determine where he's leading. And how the only thing I knew was pray. And if you're only gonna know one thing, that's a decent thing to know. That's all I had. I was like, okay, I didn't know seek wise counsel, you know, get a mentor to speak into my life. I, I didn't know any of that. But I'll tell you by the grace of God what he did that was no credit to me because I didn't know I was doing it when I was doing it was he kept bringing me opportunities to serve him and all, I just kept saying yes. So juvenile prison ministry, opportunity to serve at a camp, intern at my home church, led a student organization on my campus for Christian men. Like just things where God kept going, hey, you wanna do this? And I was like, okay. You wanna do this? Okay. And when you say yes to the opportunities God brings into your path, guess what you will uncover? What your spiritual gifts are. Because when you say yes, you'll see, well, I stunk at this. But I was pretty good at that. That seemed to have effectiveness. That, that, like, it seemed like the spirit was moving through me when I did that. It seemed like there was a unique joy and empowerment that was happening as I was doing that. The first time I ever preached, or maybe it was the second time I ever preached, was to a group of juvenile inmates uh, who there, I had prepared to give three 20-minute sermons for an hour-long service that we were gonna do at this prison facility near the, where I went to college. And there had been a riot in the cafeteria that day and I was supposed to give 20 minute sermon and when we got there, they said, well, we can't bring all the pods together anymore so you're gonna preach to each individual dorm so now what was an hour long, three hour long service is now eight 20 minute services. That's what you're gonna do. So you need to take your 20 minute sermon and boil it down to five minutes. Right? And you're like, there's no way you ever spoke for only five minutes. <laughs> Some of you are nodding your head, you know. But do you know what happened? Well, by the end, all my teammates were mouthing the words that I was saying. I was like, give me some slack. Like, cut me a break, right? But do you know what? I, I began to discover, one, that I took great delight in trying to explain God's word to people. And that perhaps there was some effectiveness that happened through that. So maybe this was a spiritual gift. But I had to say yes to walk into that prison. I had to say yes to the opportunity God brought me. I had to say yes to the girl who told me, you're doing the sermon. Right? I was like, okay. Say yes. Develop a pattern of just saying yes to the opportunities God brings you and you'll begin to see his empowerment through the spiritual gifts that he's placed within you. Last one is this. He empowers us to fight spiritual battles. Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, talks about putting on the full armor of God. Yes, some of you are familiar with this. And it's saying that we need to put this armor on because we're in a battle, we're in a war. We're fighting not against flesh and blood, it says, but we are fighting against the devil and his schemes and his lies. And then at the very end of that list of the armor of God, it says, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then right after this is, and pray in the spirit at all times. So in other words, what I see there is in order to do spiritual battle, spiritual warfare against the evil one who wants to keep this world in a dominion of darkness and wants the eyes of unbelievers to be blinded to the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is, that if we're gonna be effective in fighting that battle, one, we have to wake up to the fact that we are in a battle and our weapons in that battle are God's word, which protects us from the lies of the evil one. When you know God's word and you're saturated in it, 
And it's the Spirit's word. Do you see that? It's the sword of the Spirit, this word. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the thing that we wield against the evil one and say, no. The thing he wants to do is he wants you to believe things that aren't true and not believe things that are true. He wants to lie to you about Jesus' love for you, about the finished work of Jesus. He wants to lie to you about the wrath of God, that it's not real, that it won't be poured out upon people who don't believe in Jesus. He wants to tell you no end of lies and it's God's word that is the sword with which we battle against those lies. And it's the Spirit's sword. And then when it says pray in the Spirit, in other words, pray with an eye to the Spirit. How do you want me to pray right now? I'm listening. So we take up these weapons of prayer. These are the weapons of the Spirit in spiritual warfare. Prayer and the Word. He empowers us with those two things to fight against the evil one. To fight against the evil one. He actually says at the end of verse 19, which kind of leads us into our prayer time now, he says at the end of, of, in verse 19, he says, and pray also for me. Notice he's just said all this spiritual warfare stuff about praying and about the word of God, the sword of the spirit, praying in the spirit. And then in verse 19, the very next verse, he says, and pray for me that words would be given to me to speak the gospel boldly. In other words, I'm going out to, to join the battle now, Paul says. As I go out into this battle, would you pray for me? Would you take up that weapon of the spirit of prayer and pray for me? So here's what I think is important about that. Because in chapter five, he talked about being filled with the spirit. Then chapter six, he's talking about doing warfare with the empowerment of the spirit. I think one of the things that's so important for us is not just to say, I individually am gonna pray, spirit, would you fill me? Would you empower me? But to pray that for one another to pray that for one another. So here's what we wanna do. We've, we've saved time now. In fact, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up and they're gonna lead us in some worship. And as we sing, I just wanna invite you to be prayed for. I've asked our prayer team and some of our elders to be here and be available. So they're gonna be here up front and kind of even around the side so you can just make your way. We're not really gonna say, hey, tell me your big long story about what I can pray for you about. We're just gonna pray that the Spirit would fill you and empower you, is that okay? There's two things in particular that if you're sensing, I just wanna invite you to step out and be prayed for. The first is if there's a dryness in your walk with the Lord. If you recognize I, I'm not a, I, I couldn't be described as a person who's full of the Spirit, a yieldedness, and there's this joy in me, joy in worship, joy in prayer. If that's not there, we want you to have that. So that'd be a great thing to receive prayer for today. The second one is this, if you're recognizing that perhaps in your service to God, there's, it, it feels like there's a lack of power. There's a, there's a lack of the Spirit's power moving through you. That would be a great thing to receive prayer for too. Like you wanna serve God? I wanna serve him and I want the Holy Spirit's power. I don't wanna just do it in my own power. I wanna do it in whose power? The Spirit's power. So as the band begins to play, here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. Before we ever ask the Spirit to fill us, there's a couple of things that's good to do just in our own heart before the Lord to prepare ourselves. And, and I'm not gonna ask you to do this with anybody else, just to yourself. And then we'll stand and sing. And as we stand and sing, then you can go for prayer, okay? But here's the first thing I wanna invite you to do. Just right there in your chair as the band plays, I wanna invite you to confess sin to the Lord. We should not expect to be filled with the power of the Spirit if we know we're gonna walk out of here and go right back to some sin patterns in our life and we have no, no intention of laying those down. So let's make confession before the Lord. I encourage you to do that, to confess sin and to say, and to commit to obedience, by the way. 
Not just I'm doing this and I'm gonna keep doing it, but I'm doing this and I commit myself now to you today, this morning, sitting in this chair, I commit myself to stop doing it. I commit to obey you. So do those two things. And then the, the other thing I would say is to say, and maybe even with just open posture, I, I yield myself to your plan for my life. I'm done with my plan. Whatever you want, I'll do. Just make that commitment. I think you'll find that if that's your posture in your heart, you'll find the Spirit then responds to that prayer for filling. You'll find that the Spirit in that, in that person says, okay, there's confession, there's commitment to obedience, and there's a yieldedness to my purpose for their life. That those are kind of conditions that I think prepare us for the Spirit's outpouring of power and filling for faithfulness and for joy. Does that make sense? Okay, so team, they're, they're gonna play with us. I'm gonna pray, they're gonna play, and then George will discern when we need to start singing together, but just take that moment, okay? Maybe do those things, and then as we, as we begin to sing together, we stand together and sing, then just make your way up, receive prayer. We'd love, we even made a little extra space up here for you, okay, this morning. Let me pray. Spirit of the living God, We thank you that you're present with us when we gather in your name, moving to do your convicting work and your encouraging work, your purifying work. And so we call upon you now. We're gonna sing and declare your praises and your worth, the worth of the Son and the Father, and yes, you, the Spirit. So I pray for my brothers and sisters that as we come and as we sing, that you would, Holy Spirit, fill your people You would fill your people according to your word. We'd walk in your power. I ask for more of it for my brothers and sisters. Give them more. And now give boldness too to come and receive prayer as you lead. Help them to hear you, listen to you, and respond to you in this moment. Thank you that you love them more than I could ever hope to as their pastor. We're listening now. Even as we pray, we're listening, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.